the inside. She got the scoop on the ones to watch, on the ones that's hot. No one can do it quite like Caroline. Caroline. No one can do it quite like Caroline. It's time for Caroline. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Hyper Caroline Hobby. I am your host, Caroline Hobby. I know music, I know people, and I know the questions you want to ask. So let's get hyper. Heads up, these are adults having adult conversations, so there could be adult content. Today we have Bob DePiro. He is one of the most amazing songwriters in Nashville. He's written over 15 number one hits. He's written over 10 top 10 hits. And then over a thousand songs he has written have been cut for other artists. He also happens to be one of the funniest, most endearing, charming men ever. And he talks all about his journey to Nashville from Ohio. So interesting. Here he is. Welcome, Bob DePiro. Hello, Bob DePiro. Hello, Caroline Hobby. You got it right. Because you knew he was Caroline Cutbirth. I did know you as Caroline Cutbirth. And now I know you as Caroline Cutbirth Hobby. Correct, Mundo. <laughs> so this is a fun day and a fun way to start this interview because I got to hear the song you just wrote with Fancy. With Fancy and Ian Keggy. And it's called Dirty Love. Dirty Love. And it lives up to that title. Well, actually, it's just called Dirty. It's basically like, don't love me unless it's dirty. Don't want your love unless it's dirty. So is that a hookup song? Well, yeah. <laughs> It is, but it's also, I don't know, you know, it's a very sexual song, but it's also about, I just want it all. Right, right. Where do you get your inspiration? Like, where does a song like that come up? Do you do you walk in and be like, okay, I want to walk, I want to write about hooking up, but you don't have to stick around? You know, it would, it would surprise you where that came from. It came from some deep conversation that I was having. You know, uh, that happens with Leslie, with my wife Leslie, and it was a very serious conversation. And what was it about? Well, it was about being honest with each other and uh, being just letting it out like sexually, everything. Uh, hi, Leslie. Oh, sorry. Leslie, come say hi. We're talking about you. Oh, hi. Come on, come we're talking about you, Come say hello on this Leslie. podcast. Hi, we're talking podcast. about how Dirty was inspired by you guys. Well, I was, insp- <laughs> <laughs> I was telling her it was inspired by a conversation we had that was not, it was serious. It was a serious conversation. Yes, I'm not a dirty girl. I'm a adventurous girl. But there's a That's difference. right. There's a but difference. listen. To keep a marriage spicy, you have to stay adventurous. Well, she's that. She's well, I can tell. By the way, anyone listening, Leslie Tomasino, her name is Leslie Tomasino DePiro now, is smoking hot. Bob has yeah, a rocking hot wife. And she was just in the vagina monologues in Nashville. And you were there. And it was. You were in the vagina audience. And I was laughing. I was, in, I, was, I was in the vagina. I never knew how much I loved vaginas until I saw you in it. All vaginas. We have uh, vagina crushes on each other. There you go. <laughs> Do you need to tell Bob something? No, well, I was going to tell him I got to go because I'm oh. running over to uh, another client. Well, I'll see you when you get home. Yeah, Look how cute you guys are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have our moments. We have our moments. Yeah. <laughs> okay, get that dirty love ready for when he's home. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's inspired by a conversation. 
Yeah. And, and that's I mean, how songs are usually to come about. You have to get really deep. But that's, I mean, what's interesting about co-writing mm-hmm. is that the subject matter might mean something to me that's totally different from what it means to my co-writer. Right. You know, where maybe Fancy was just thinking about some dirty love. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I was thinking about this other thing, but, you know, you put the minds together. And something bigger shows up, you know. So we're sitting here in this room. We're calling it the bunker, which is your studio. The bunker. And literally wall to wall of songs that you have written, like huge freaking hits. You've had 15 number ones? Yes. 15 number one songs. Let me throw some of those out there. American Made by Oak Ridge Boys. That was your first number one song? My first number one song, 1983. That's when I was born. I was 13. Wow. No, I wasn't 13. You were born mm-hmm. then? I'm so old. No, you're not. So old. So, okay, you're from a steel manufacturing center of Youngston, Youngstown, Ohio. Youngstown, Ohio. Did what your, used to be. Did your family work in steel? No. Believe it or not, they were, we were one of the very few families who didn't. My, my dad actually was a foot doctor, a podiatrist. Really? Yes, he was a foot doctor, and uh, my mom was a housewife. She was a, a stay-at-home housewife. Okay, so how did you discover this love of music? Because you also went to music college. I did. Yeah. Uh, you know... And you were in hard rock bands. Yes, or or rock bands. At the, I mean, I went through a series of bands, you know. But it started out, you know, like so many people of, of my age my vintage, uh, seeing the Beatles on TV for the first time. And you said, I got to do that? That was it. Really? I was blinded by the light. I mean, it was just like, okay, I want to do that. What about that excited you? Well, the music <clears throat> was more like magic to me at the mm-hmm. time. You know, it's just, how do they do that? And they were smiling, and girls were screaming at them. Girls, of course, of course. <laughs> it's always for the girls, Red isn't it? Blooded American male, yes. <laughs> and uh, it was it was that, and, and so like everybody else, I bought a guitar and went into the garage with my brother and some of his friends, and we had this not really good band, you know, and we played Beatles songs and, and it, I, it just never stopped for me. It did you just, sing or did you just, or did yeah, you play? I, I, I sang, you I started out here. I'm going to tell you something you tell don't me. know. Tell me. I started out as a roadie. No way. I think I was the first official roadie ever. <clears throat> really? <laughs> for your band or for your brother's band? Yeah. My brother's band uh, they had gotten a New Year's Eve gig. Okay. I wasn't playing in that band, but I so wanted to <laughs> play in it. And, the, and it, we were so young that none of us drove. Oh, wow. So the drummer's dad came over to pick my brother up. And while we were waiting for him to show up, my brother was like, <laughs> you can't go. <laughs> He's really like. What an ass. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's a whole lot. Yeah. So he's going, ah, you can't, you're not going to go, you're not going to go. And and Ralph Desimone was the drummer's name. His dad showed up, and he he opened the door, came in the house, and goes, ready, darling? Yep. 
How about you, Bobby? You ready? I'm not going. Well, why not? Well, I, Don said I couldn't go. Well, of course you can go. Come on. And my brother's like, damn, shit. <laughs> and I just Yahoo! took the open opportunity. Took the open opportunity, and I just jumped in there. And so you started being the roadie. Eventually, started. got asked to be in the band. No. <laughs> <laughs> I I eventually, while I was a roadie, I eventually picked up a tambourine. Okay. And I would kind of play it off to the side, you know, and I'd, I'd inch up a little bit so more. So you inched your way side. in. I totally inched my <laughs> way in. It's the story of my life. Hey, but, I mean, Bob, it's not like there's a whole lot of options in the steel town of Ohio, right? No, no there wasn't. But I was just in this. You're my, the younger brother, though, right? I'm the younger brother, and I just I just had to be involved. Had to. I, I just had to be involved, so I was practicing guitar and doing all this stuff and I just had to be involved and so that was so I got into a band I got into that band and and then you went to the music college did right. your band ever get any success or was that just like the gateway drug into the rest well, of life it was it was kind of a gateway drug but that band went through several incarnations and my brother and I were playing together and then we started yet another band with the same Ralph I was telling you about. And another Ralph. We had Ralph and Ralph. Did you call yourself the Ralphs? <laughs> we should have. <laughs> oh, we weren't smart enough to think of that. Too bad. So much smarter. So you go to college. Go to college. After this band. And do you start really studying music? Yes. I mean, the band, you asked me if we had any success. We got hooked up with a lead singer. Okay. who was also from Youngstown, but he was older than us. And somehow he'd gotten some kind of facocta record deal from from this very unknown label called Paula Records in Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, wow. And so somehow he, they didn't want a solo singer. They wanted a band. So he said, all right, you're my band. And so we flew down to Shreveport, Louisiana and, and started recording. And nothing really came of it except... I started to see... You scratched the itch. I scratched... Oh, man. I got a big old dose of it, and I loved every minute of it. So came back, and, and Youngstown State University, which is where I went and where I graduated from, had a, a small part of that school called the Dana School of Music. Okay. And it And I was, I was just... To be honest, I was just trying to stay out of the army because they had the draft back then, and I was I was uh, not into what was happening, you know. So I just hung on to my draft deferment by going to school, and I'm going well. I'm here. I love music, Mm -hmm. and so I started taking music courses. And I I was like so many musicians, I couldn't really read music hardly at all. But I had a really good, I had developed an ear so that I could hear something and I could play it back. So I would fake a lot of, yeah, <laughs> but I, I just heard it, you know, and I could get pretty close to it. And so, yeah, I, I went there and I started taking really traditional theory and harmony. It's not like what we know today, like Belmont offers here, just very contemporary music business mm-hmm. recording arts, all that stuff. It was just a real basic traditional theory and harmony course, and I played in the jazz band there, and I studied classical guitar, and I sucked at classical guitar because I'd sit there and start practicing these studies, 
And about 20 minutes in, I'd be writing a song. So just, that's when you discovered songwriting. Did yeah, it just but, flow out naturally? Yeah. I mean, songwriting came from, for me, being in a band. Everything sprung from being in a band because okay. my heroes at the time were the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and I'd read all their their album covers, and I'd look, and it was Lennon McCartney, Lennon McCartney, Jagger Richards, Jagger Richards, and I went, oh, these guys write their own songs. So that's what you wanted to do. So, well, if you're in a band, you write your own songs. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I'm going to write my own songs. Were you good at writing songs in the beginning? I don't know. I'm, no, I mean, I was, I guess I could see that I you knew. Knack for it. I knew how it went. Okay. I knew how, how the structure went, and I was... I was really good at seeing images really? in my head. Like, yeah, what do you mean? Well, just stories. Like you, you can know? see the full picture in your head? Kind of, like sort of. Or, or it was, to me, I always describe it as like a piece of DNA, you know? Like what they do now, they can clone a sheep from one little piece of DNA. Right. Like if I just got a title, that's somewhere that I can grow the song from. Or if I just got a little guitar part, well, that's another part. I can grow the song from, or we're talking about something and I get a feeling. Well, that's another piece of DNA that I can grow a song so from. You so you have a wild imagination. I have a wild imagination. Seriously. I, I'm like, very wild. Like, you can grow a whole song from a tiny little nugget. I guess that's the best way to describe it, yeah. I guess it is. You just need I'm, a touch of inspiration that you can grow it. Yes, yeah, so I always say, I I pray, when I pray, I I don't pray for a hit song. I, I pray for inspiration. Okay. I always say, God, just give me the inspiration. I'll do all the heavy lifting. That's amazing. Uh, it's so, it's what I've done all this time. And and I have God. friends and and they've got like the they've got like the uh, secret recipe to Coke <laughs> that they just <laughs> keep churning out. But for me, it's always hey, Bob. I'm looking around. I think you have that secret recipe. I guess I don't know. It doesn't feel like that. It's always a new, new feeling. But I think that's the the sign of a true person who's not. You're not. You're not satisfied with all you've accomplished. Like you're still hungry for it. Like even though you are in the songwriters hall of fame, which is huge, you've had 15 number ones. Like how many top tens did you have? I don't know. I know. I, honest, I do. Honest to God, I don't know. You've written over a thousand songs that have been cut by artists. Yeah, that's crazy. That's Stupid. I've written too many songs. Is what no, that's, that's crazy. You have your you have a star on the songwriters Walk of Fame, Nashville's Walk of Fame, in between Jimi Hendrix and Barbara Mandrell. Which I always said pretty much is exactly where I'm at, somewhere between Jimi Hendrix and Barbara Mandrell. Yeah, that's, that's, I love that. Well, so okay, you, you're in this band. You start writing songs. You go to school. You keep continuing your craft. What is the moment where you're like, I'm moving to Nashville to be a songwriter? I was in college. I was playing in bands at night. I was giving guitar lessons in the late afternoon to pay the rent, and uh, I had some neighbors who lived in an apartment where I was living, and they were also songwriters. And but they were really song, and then they were really songwriters, and they started talking about going to Nashville. So I heard this: Why would you go to Nashville? So it I was mean, not on your radar. Not at all. I mean, I knew zero minus zero about country music. Honest, 
honestly. There were, I don't remember any country radio stations up there, or maybe I just didn't want to hear it. I only listened to Top 40 radio and rock and roll. You know, okay. that's that's what I listened to, you know. And, and so to make a living, I would, sometimes I'd go to the only recording studio in Youngstown, which was this polka studio. <laughs> Young, Youngstown is very well known for their polka bands. Uh, oh, can you play polka? If I had to. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that I don't like polka, but actually there's, Many Grammy winners come from Youngstown, Ohio. Okay, because it's a doing big polka. Polka. Okay, who so, knew? Who fun knew? Fun fact. There's a fun fact right there. Uh-huh. Well, and you're close to the, Ohio, the Cleveland like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh yeah. So it's like trickling down in the Ohio area. Oh, absolutely, it absolutely trickled down. And during all this time, I would go out to the bars at night and listen to the rock and roll bands and. I saw Bob Seger playing in clubs. Really? And I would see the James Gang with Joe Walsh playing in clubs, and I'd come home and I'd go, I'm so screwed. If every little town like Youngstown has got guys like that, I got no chance. But it, it really informed me what excellent really was. So you it's, started off seeing great right away. Yeah, I did, and it, and it really was. Well, and and. Mimi thinks you're really good, you know, but and that makes you feel good. But what is good, you know? And even going to school and learning the, the true theory and harmony informed me what was really exceptional. So I got that in my head. Okay, that's that's what exceptional is. Joe Walsh is exceptional, you know. Bob Seger is really really good, you know. Did you, from the beginning, put pressure on yourself to be one of the greats? Like, is that the category that you were striving for? Is that the company that you, like, nothing below that great status would work? Is that where you set your bar? You know, I wish I would say yes, but I was just floating in the music. I didn't have, I'm going to be Elvis Presley. It really wasn't like that. I just wanted to play music. Okay. And I wanted to be in a band, and I saw those guys, and I th- and I, all I would think was, man, wouldn't it be great to be like that? You know, it'd be so great. And I would just get this in my mind and think about it and dream it. So I guess I dreamed it. And my, my dad always said that I had delusions of grandeur. <laughs> he would, he you know, I'd say, Dad, I'm going I'm to go down, I'm going to write these songs, and... And he's going, you have delusions of grandeur. You know, this is going to burn out and you're going to finally get a job. And he's going, what are you talking about? You know, and as time went on, these delusions of grandeur became reality. So, okay, speaking of that, you, your friends are in college. They're saying, we're going to Nashville. You're like, what the heck is Nashville? What's country music? You start hearing about it. You're like, okay, I'm coming with you. I didn't, they moved. Okay. They They said, we're going, they weren't college guys. They were just... Street guys, okay. and they said we're moving to Nashville to be songwriters and artists. They wanted, to, they were two guys, and they wanted to be a duo. They wanted to be the Everly Brothers okay. or something. And so I kept in contact with them, and I decided, and I honestly say this: I knew my car would not make it to L.A., <laughs> but I knew it could make it to Nashville. You should write that song. I know. Actually. That's I, a great visual. You, you need inspiration. That's right. a good inspiration. Right I mean, I had gone to New York City 
to try and pedal this album we made, and it, it just to- I'm not being honest. It just totally overwhelmed me. You know, I was just you weren't ready you know, for 19, New York. Yeah. 20, and it was just like, whoa. That's I wasn't, a lot. wasn't ready for it. But, uh, and then in the meantime, I had started writing songs, you know, and uh, I would trade out time with the only studio in Youngstown. I would, I would say, you have a bread commercial? Okay, I'll write your bread commercial, and you give me the studio from 10 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock in the no morning. Way. And that's what I would do. I'd go in there and record these. I'd record his bread commercial, and then I'd record these songs I was writing, and those were the songs that I brought to Nashville. Was American Made in that batch? It was not in that batch. No, none of those songs, none of the songs you're describing was in that batch. Let me give you a little rundown really fast. Some of the number one songs that Bob DePiro has written. American Made, Oak Ridge Boys. Wink, Neil McCoy. Oh my God, I love that song. Blue Clear Sky, George Strait. Oh my God, love it. Daddy's Money, Ricochet, Worlds Apart, Vince Gill, That Rock Won't Roll, Restless Heart, Little Rock by Reba, Do You Love Me, Just Say Yes, Highway 101, Church on Cumberland Road, Shannon Doa, Money in the Bank, John Anderson, Take Me As I Am, Faith Hill. Oh my gosh, I love that song. I love that song. Till You Love Me, Reba, They're Playing Our Song, Neil McCoy, If You Ever Stop Loving Me, Montgomery Gentry, Southern Voice, Timmergall. I mean, number one songs, you've had 15 number one songs. That's not even your top 10 songs. Which I won't even go through all this because I think you have over like how many top tens do you have? How many you know, top twenties? Caroline, I couldn't tell you. I'm not that kind of guy that goes, well, you know what? I have 30 top twenties. I have 22 top 18s. <laughs> I've got seven top fives. I know how many number ones I have. And after that, I I don't. I'm not counting. It's it's like. Yes, I like number one songs. Number one songs are great. I love to get more of them, you know. But I'm just, just inspiration. Uh, Looking for inspiration every day. Yeah, yeah. It's not about counting the number ones or what I, and it's not about what happened. It's to me, it's always about what's going to happen. So you do not live in the past. No, and and it really. Uh, pains me when I see a lot of my contemporaries who do. Living off their past achievements? Well, yeah. And, Not and that they shouldn't be saluted. No, they should be saluted, but I mean <clears throat> well, back when I was having my big success, music was so much better. This music sucks now. You know, it's like, come on man, you know, there's good you know, there's good everywhere and there's bad everywhere, you know, and and they kind of get caught in that space, you know. But I've always wanted to just move forward. You and know? I saw that. You said you always want to stay relevant. Yeah. And what, how do you do that? Because you have. How have you done that? And what uh, is your secret for staying relevant? I just try to keep a student's heart. You know, a student is always learning. And just when I, when I, if I ever think I know it, then I'm screwed. That is true. Because to me, to be relevant, you have to always be learning. Everything is everything is always changing. The language changes. You know, how we speak today in 2016 is not how we spoke in 1983 <laughs> or 93 or 2000. So you, you know? have had a career since 1983. Well, actually, my first song I ever had 
Enter the Charts was Reba McIntyre's song called I Can See Forever in Your Eyes that I wrote by myself. What? And it was like 1982 or 81 oh my or 82. Gosh. And yeah, it, it, it surprises me, but you know, you, you learn the language of music. You know, in music, there's only so many chords, especially in country music. It's like primary colors mm-hmm. as far as the harmony and the melodies, you know. You get to other types of music, and there's pale blue, and there's smoky, dusty rose. <laughs> That's so true. Youngstown, I mean Youngstown, in country music, they're very primary. But within those primary colors are so many alternatives, and that's what keeps it fresh for me. And I also love working with the new kids in town. You do? I, I love it. It's, what do you it's, love about it? It informs my mind. It informs my brain. It informs my musicianship. It informs my tech brain you know mm-hmm. it's just okay that's what these guys are thinking about and and okay that's how you that's how we're speaking now and oh this is the gear that's really working you know although i still if i followed everybody i would wouldn't be here right you know i i follow myself but you I, take little tidbits yeah i learn you know i write with craig wiseman i'm learning you know, if I write with fancy, I'm learning. Yeah. You know, if I write with someone of that stature, I'm learning when I'm writing. How amazing. Because a lot of people with your kind of success might be like, I'm the big wig. I'm the alpha of this co-write. You know? And, and, and sometimes you are. And it works for that. Yes. Pe- for those people. Mm-hmm. And, and that's cool. But I've always tried to offer... Writers who might look upon me as the big Kahuna, a welcoming space. And you know, and you hey, have look, that we're, we're both staring at the same blank page here. You know, we're both starting nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, let's go somewhere together. So you, you come know? in with just no ego, and just... I try not to. Yeah, you know, uh, if someone starts egoing out on me, and it really rarely happens. I can be a big egoed out jerk if I need to be. <laughs> I can. But I, I, I don't like me as that, and I don't choose to be that. I love that. Okay, so you got to Nashville because your car wouldn't make it to California. How long? When did you show up in Nashville? What I year? started making trips. I started making trips to Nashville uh, like two years before I moved to Nashville. I came down to visit my buddies. Then I came down again, and I brought some songs with me. And I started just what everybody else who's ever made it or, or who's ever gotten the music business does. I knocked on doors. You knocked said, on doors? Oh, literally. You went up and down music row and literally, knocked on doors? I would knock on doors. Were you embarrassed or scared? No. What were I was, you? I was going to be in the music business. <laughs> so you had no, like, nervousness about that? No, no. After, brave thing to do. Honestly, after... After getting through music school, which I had no business being in, and actually graduating and being under that much pressure and that much scrutiny, and after seeing all these great artists who went on to become icons, I wasn't afraid. I was like, 
I, I want this. You got to get there. You're on a time frame. You got to go. I just, I was thrilled just to be here, but I had to get somewhere. So, you know, nobody sent for me. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, You know, Bob? people say, you know, Chet Atkins didn't call me up and say, Bob, we really need an Italian hillbilly down here, you know? No one came calling for you? I just, I just showed up and I was a rock and roll guitar player and I literally had zero knowledge of country music you know so many people say oh well look at all these guys today moving here from la and all they're pop guys they're just track guys i wonder if they're gonna have a track guy hall of fame you know and they're just these young guys and they think they know everything well i was that young guy who thought i knew everything and i was i was a rock guy and they needed some rock they needed some life in country music, and I was the guy to bring it to you them. You were uh, here. You are. You know, you so have arrived. Uh, so I just, I did. I would literally walk up and down the street. Do you think you dazzled people with your confidence? Do you think they gave I, you a shot because you were so confident? I don't know. I I wasn't like, get a lot of this. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, am I glad to be here? And man, am I glad you're talking to me? And here's some songs I I really like. And I was being honest. So how did you get your first big break? Before the cut, first big number one, how did you get your break into the country music industry? Well, I had moved here, and I was making my living in Nashville being a guitar teacher, teaching guitar to kids after school, you know. And, uh, you know, they'd show up, I want to learn Back in Black. And I teach it back in black, or I want to learn. So that's what I was doing to make a living. But then I got hold of a Billboard magazine that said, uh, Combine Music, looking to expand its pop arm. And I went, oh, I'm pop. (laughs) You know? So I was not uh, affiliated with BMI, but... I had met someone from BMI, Jerry Smith, and so I called him up and I said, hey, Jerry, I'd really like to talk to somebody at Combine Music because it says right here in the magazine that they're, they're looking to expand their, their industry bigger than country. And so Jerry made an introduction to Al Cooley, who was the song plugger, the general manager okay. at Combine music, home of Chris Christopherson at the time, and Dang. Larry Gatlin, and blah, blah, Dolly Parton, blah, blah, blah. Very small, independent company. It was not a corporation. And so he made me this, this uh, appointment, and I showed up with my tape, and I gave it to Al Cooley, and I'm sitting there, and he plays it. And he goes, hold on, hold a state right here. And he runs upstairs. I don't know where he's going. Comes back downstairs and he says, all right, come upstairs with me. And he takes me upstairs and he takes me in this big office. And there is this guy named Bob Beckham, okay. who was the publisher, the main guy of this publishing, Combine Music. And he kind of had his own language, you know, he was from Oklahoma, I never met anybody from Oklahoma, I'm from Ohio, you know, and he's like, ah, my sting, son, fine, all I could, all I could make out that what he was saying was, and we're going to make a lot of money, and he he dismissed me, 
but he heard your stuff, obviously. He'd heard it. And so he thought you had something. He thought I had something. And so did he sign you to a publishing deal? No. Rude? He said, you're welcome to come here. You're welcome to come here anytime you want, drink the coffee, hang out. You're welcome to come here. So I was the quintessential hair in a biscuit, man. I was there. And I was (laughs) hanging. And I was drinking the coffee. And... I was, you couldn't get me out of it, man. <laughs> he said, come. You said, yes, sir. Yeah. I, you're welcome to, to hang out. And, That's all it took. And luckily, at the time, there were guys like me, guys who had come from different parts of the country who were trying to do a similar thing. They were trying to write. They were trying to figure out, am I an artist? Am I a writer? What am I? All I know is that I love music. And I met like-minded guys, you know. I met Steve Earle there who has just come to Texas, and he played me Devil's Right Hand right after he wrote it. And I'm like, oh, I'm so screwed. I can't write that. You know, but it, once again, it informed me about that's what is excellent. I know that. I feel that. You could tell an excellent song, because I feel like I've been a song plugger and listening to hear what hits are. Sometimes I cannot tell what a hit I can't, song is. Honestly, I can't tell all the time. When I wrote Blue Clear Sky, I liked it. I didn't think For it George was, Strait. Yeah, I didn't think it would ever go to somebody like George Strait. And I never thought it would be be the title track of the CMA album of the year. I liked it. You know, and I remember pulling the faders up going, wow, this is a good song. But it never occurred to me, this is the number one smash, you know, because I had other songs. That you thought were better. I thought were much better. And no one even responded to but there were certain songs that would just get you oh man that is such a hit so tell me one that you've written like that it's once again it's hard it's hard for me to say uh i thought southern voice with tim mcgraw yeah that i wrote with tom douglas was tom douglas is stupid good too crazy good nuts good I thought it was as good a song as I could humanly write at that point. And I I thought it said something that meant something but had been said differently in in a way that had not been said before. And I thought that's really unique and different, and I think it's excellent. And And then we can translate that into Music Row language was that's a hit yeah you know so I, I was pretty certain that was a hit song and it was yeah and 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 there have been others i mean i really love the song you mentioned really early in my career that rock won't roll I love you know? that song. it was just like oh man this is so cool what a good idea yeah it was a great idea and it's a perfect example of of keep digging because i wrote that with john scott Cheryl. And we had written this song called That Rock Won't Roll. Whole song finished, done. And we went back and listened to it and said, man, there is nothing good about this song (laughs) except the title. So we just scrapped that whole song. And that's a brave move because once you built this little creature that is a song, to throw it away is kind of scary. Well, it is scary, but I think it's 
it's courageous. You have to know when to hold them. Yeah, and it is, there's a difference between stupidity and fearlessness. I don't know what where that line goes. You know? <laughs> truly, truly. But, I mean, I think we both felt this as such a cool idea that we just scrapped that whole song Start and over. started over. And thank God you did. And thank God we did, yeah. I, th- I think we, once again, wrote a song about love, but wrote it in a way that may not have exactly been said like that before. And you you make me think of something interesting. I feel like sometimes on Music Row, people can get into the habit of just showing up at their co-write, working for four or five hours, calling it a day, and just being like, oh, that's okay, that's that's good, that's a fine song. When really sometimes you do have to put in the extra effort and really like work harder because you can get into a easy routine i feel like not you in particular but songwriters yeah and and there's a lot to be said for that i mean writers that hit that sweet spot in their career it's like they can do no wrong Mm -hmm. everything they're writing is getting recorded or getting listened to and it's like oh yeah okay it's five o'clock i'm leaving now and fully expecting this song to be recorded or looked at Mm -hmm. you know and that's a portion of a career right there but I know what you're saying, I, but I think some songs don't need to be reworked or yeah. rewritten. They are just blue, I mean, uh, yeah, blue clear sky. We never changed a it word, came out. never changed a note of melody. It was as it was written. Do you feel like those are gifts? Oh, shoot, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think in the creative process, there's, there's, talent that's involved and there's when you become you know I always said that a, a, a trained seal can write one number one song but to write three four five and beyond something's going on yeah and I think that is talent I think it's just perseverance you know I think it's expecting a miracle yeah (laughs) you know and luck is involved cannot say that that's not part of it or some people might call it my better angels or it's my luck but something helps do you feel like you have to be open to receiving that extra help oh yeah i think so i mean yeah i mean i'm i'm a I'm a very, I'm a spiritual person. I have a problem with organized religion, but I, I feel it. I believe. Yeah. And songs are magical. Yeah. And it, it really, I think Keith Richards in his book really described, at least to me, it made sense where he said that he feels like an antenna and he's just got it up there. I love that. And. He's just waiting to receive, and it's like a radio, and sometimes you can't get the station, and sometimes you can hear parts of it, and sometimes it's loud and clear, you know, and just I just try to be open, you know. I love how he described that. Oh, it's a great book on for creative people to, I mean, it's his version. Yeah. There's no one way. There is no one that way. That is the truth. And actually, like, in talking to people... Like I've gotten to do with this podcast, you hear their stories, and it's all over the it's map. It's all over the map, and and that's good. It is because there is no one way. It's I mean, just perseverance. I think. Yeah, I think somebody said, you know, if you want to get to California, 
You can walk. <laughs> you can take a bus. You take a jet. You take a private jet. You could backpack. You could back. You could you could drive, and you'll get there. But there are just so many different ways to get there. You got to write long this song, get, get to California, about your car breaking down in Nashville. I mean, you gotta. That's your next inspiration, Bob. I just might. <laughs> okay, so you're the hair and the biscuit. That's where we stopped. I kind of sidetracked because okay. your story. I'm the so hair and the biscuit, so I'm hanging out. This publishing company. And I'm ru- and I'm running into guys like me. But when you're much younger and hadn't started. Yeah, I, you know, 20-something guys that come from all different parts of the country. And it's the first time I really met guys from the South. Like, I'm from Mississippi. I'm from Atlanta. I'm from, I'm from uh, Oklahoma. I'm from Texas. Yeah. I'm from Florida. Well, I thought Florida was Miami Beach. No. <laughs> Florida is deep country. Yeah. You know, and... But they all had the same passion I had, and so it was easy to connect with them. And we both, we all wanted to write something, whether it was for our solo projects or we wanted to have songs to be recorded by the artists of the day. And so I fell in with these people and started writing with them. And I guess I turned in enough songs that finally this Bob Beckham said, I. I want to sign you to a deal, son. And I love that you're turning in songs that you don't even have a publishing deal. Oh, no. That, no, to no, me, no, no. The, your heart, you have that eager heart. You wanted it. Well, I wanted to show them. I wanted to show them how serious I was and, and that I'm going to do this. And if you're with me, cool. And if you're not with me, I'm going to do it somewhere else. But I, it was in my heart to write these songs, you know. And so finally I said, I'm going to give you a deal, son. Yay! <laughs> Gonna give you seventy five dollars a week, okay. every week. And I'm this like, a big deal? wow. To me, it was because yeah. someone was actually gonna pay me to write songs. That's a huge, like validation. Yeah, I'm this guy from Youngstown, Ohio, that was getting paid, you know, twenty five dollars a night and all the beer I could drink in a bar band playing Brown Sugar or whatever the songs of the day were, you know. And this guy's paying me to write songs, so. It was huge, and 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 that's what I that's what I did is, and I told you I was teaching guitar when I first moved to Nashville. So I would show up there, I don't know, nine thirty, ten o'clock, and I just hang out, and and then I'd start making writer appointments, and I'd write with my writer friends till about three o'clock, and then I'd have to. Go all the way up to Rivergate Mall, which is where I taught guitar in this real little music store. And I would teach guitar to all the kids from like 3.30 to whenever they stopped coming. (laughs) And then I'd come home and I'd ride by Combine to see if anybody was there. And if they were there, I was there, you know, and I I just did that. But you have such an infectious personality, too, that... That must have really shown how badly you wanted this. You know, he's got to love your perseverance. And then your talent on top of it. Well, I'm, you know, Bob Beckham was an old school publisher, but a publisher nonetheless, just like, I don't know, Detroit Tomlinson is today a great publisher in our town right now. Or Mark Brown, you know. Uh, They recognize. They recognize talent. And And drive. 
and drive. They recognize the package. Because talent is no good without the no, drive. They recognize the package. Yeah. He's got the talent. He's got the drive. Doesn't look like he's taking over an answer. And I think he's got delusions of grandeur. <laughs> you know, so maybe it'll let's work in his shot. Let's give him a shot. You know, when I first moved to town, I always felt like, how will people know that I want to be here? You know? And I do agree with what you're saying. Now that I've been here for almost 12 years, you can tell when someone wants it. It's, it's, not, it's, not a it's not a regular thing. Not everyone has the drive. I think that's a key ingredient. Yeah, I think it is too. And I think it's, it's how you present yourself, you know? I mean, I think I'm a pretty good guitar player, but I never showed up with... The attitude is I'm a really hot shot electric guitar player. Get ready for this, you know. <laughs> or someone, I mean, and honestly, I'm not, uh, this is what I think. Or someone like you. You're a very beautiful woman, but you do not lead with that. Yeah. You don't lead with it, whereas a, a lot of women lead with that. They lead with the sexual. That lasts for five seconds. It lasts for, yeah, but you lead with your heart. I feel, Thank you, Bob. you know, and I think that's why you're here and, and where you are right now, you know, and, and all the other stuff kicks in whenever, you know, that's just all this extra stuff you got to use, you know, but Appreciate I think that. you lead with your heart and I, I think I lead with my heart you and do. you can, and you can get hurt. You can, but why, like why, why not put yourself out there and see, you can also get grandiose, a grandiose life, visions of grandiose. Yeah, that's that. And. Yeah, so, so I just kept working. So you got the publishing deal. How did it feel when you got inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame? Starting from this whole journey, now you've had your all your number ones, all your success, and now you're getting inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. I mean, are you like freaking out? Yes, it, it really was like otherworldly. It was like a dream. It's like this, you dreamed of this since you were a kid. Yeah, it's like I'm watching it happen. From somewhere up here or something. I, wow, look, there's Bob. And and they're walking up and people are standing up and clapping. And I wasn't necessarily in the moment of, okay, I'm feeling this. I'm seeing this. It was just like it was almost an out-of-body experience, you know. And to see my peers and to see people like whoever was in the audience, Vince Gill, Garth Brooks, acknowledging my work. And a lot of them having cut some of your songs. And a lot of them have both of them have both of those guys okay. cut one of my songs. <laughs> and and so it it felt it felt otherworldly, but I didn't feel like I shouldn't be there. You felt like you deserved it. Had worked hard for I, it. I had worked. I, I know the 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 time I put in there and I I always tried to do my best work, and they were honoring me for my best work. What's your motto with songwriting? What's my motto? Yeah, like what's your like go-to? What gets you up to do it every day? Get up and put your pants on. Show up. Show up. Show up. This, the, somebody wants to know the secret, that's the secret. Show up. Are you okay if you have a day where you write a song that you don't feel like is great, or does that bum you out? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a competitive creature, just like probably everybody else on Music Row. I want to write a great song, but as time has gone on, I've learned to 
accept that. I mean, it's like an athlete. Athletes don't have gold medal performances every day. You know, football players don't kill it. Cam Newton kind of sucked in the Super Bowl, you know, but I'm sure he's going to show up and play again and make great plays. But it's just part of the deal, you know. I hate it when that happens. But, I mean, yeah, just show up and just do the be. I really have never felt that I've competed with, I want to be just like whoever, Rodney Clausen. I want to be just like Mark Sanders. You know, I've always tried to just be the best Bob DiPiro. And mostly I compete with myself. I think that's the ticket. Yeah, and while being aware of what's around me and... I think songwriters are like reporters. You know, we're just reporting on on what we see and what we feel and what we hear and what we think, you know. We're this is the daily news, you Truly. know. Okay, so in the middle of all this, you had there was a moment where you were the songwriter of the year multiple times. Yes. What songs were you songwriter of the year for? Which is a huge prestigious honor for Nashville to be honored by the entire community of songwriters. All of like the artists, it's the whole, the whole town. Carolyn, and you are the songwriter of the year. Yeah, I can't. E- honest, I can't even tell you what those songs were. <laughs> I knew, I know during that period of time there were songs like "Blue Clear Sky" and "Daddy's Money" and "Worlds Apart" that I'd written with Vince, and 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 you uh, also got the Triple Play Award for a couple times during this. Yeah, season of life, which is where you have three number ones within one year. And I right. think, did you have a double triple play? I had two, two. I've had, I've earned two triple play awards. So within two separate years, you've had three number ones. Yes. That's a big freaking deal. It was a big freaking deal for me. I'd say for anyone. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And, and you know, these days, guys are getting... Multiple number, multiple triple plays, a lot, but I think that's a that's a result of the fact that our whole life is sped up. That's true. That's you know that that our whole media wheel, our whole radio wheel, has just sped up, and they're just spitting them out as soon as they get to number one. Next, 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 and the guys that are in the golden circle are. You know, it's time for me to get them, you know? Yeah. But I was, I mean, I never, I never had it in my mind that I was going to get three number one records in a year or do it twice. I mean, that's insane. Okay. So I'm looking at Cleopatra, Clean Denial. I loved that song from Pam Tillis. You guys were married for a minute. We were married for, it was seven years we were seven. married. Did y'all just write songs all the time? When we were around. I mean, when we were in songwriting mode. Was that hard being married to an artist who's traveling all the time? Well, I can only speak to my experience, and uh, my experience was that when Pam's career as an artist started, I mean, she'd really been at it, trying to become an artist, and she got out to L.A. for a rock-pop Madonna-type deal at the time that, that didn't work, and so she'd been at it. She'd been knocking at it. But when... But when we started dating, she was not, quote-unquote, famous. She was Mel Tillis' daughter. That's That was the extent of her fame. 
And I was already in my role as a songwriter of note, you know. Yeah. But Pam has always been a great songwriter, you know. Uh, so as soon as we got married, uh, the day we got married, her first single, uh, Don't Tell Me What to Do, went number one. I love that song. Yeah, me too. Wish I'd written it. <laughs> <laughs> and and immediately, we she was shot out of a cannon. She's on a rocket. She's on a rocket, and she's starting out, so her hubby Bobby is playing in the band. Oh, okay. I, I played guitar in the band. We travel on the road. Mel Tillis, for his wedding present to us, gave us gave us one of his old tour buses. Are you? Well, you know you're in the industry when you get a tour bus. Yeah, for, for a wedding present. <laughs> and it's a it was a real old tour bus, and it still had bus seats in it, you oh know. But gosh. we have a bus. Hell yeah. You know, so we just took off, and and all of a sudden we were on the road more than we were home. Was it fun? It was fun until it wasn't fun, you know. Usually how it goes. Yeah, I mean, and there was a time when we were really killing it as a couple, but there was always this competition thing going on that I was always, I'm not saying anything bad, but I was always like, hey, we're a team. Yeah. Isn't this great? Yay for us, you know, and uh, uh and we were killing it. You know, I think at one time, two of us had half of the top ten. That's insane. Uh, with her stuff, with my stuff, with our stuff together. Uh, and uh, like I said, it was a lot of fun until it wasn't fun anymore. And and just what happens? You know, there's. it's not a cliche that people break up that are in show business. I mean, there's sometimes there's just impossible situations you find yourself in. Why is that that so many people break up in show business? But I think that's just a saying because people just break up in general, too. People do break up in general. I, I think you're right, and I think it's just because they're famous and people love to follow people who are not even famous, but uh, celebrities. And they get invested like, in the relationship. Right. Like the Kardashians are celebrities. You know, they're they don't do anything, but they're, they're celebrities. People yeah. know who they are, you know. And and I think that kind of spotlight on you personally and your life, I mean, being mar married is hard enough without somebody looking through your windows while you're being married. Like, and, truly. You know, and, and that, at least, uh, this is my experience. I'm not Dr. Phil or anything. You <laughs> yeah, know, I just, think you might be. Uh, just in my experience... That added to the insanity, mm -hmm. and the success we were having was just just beyond, beyond, you know. And all that rolled into one, and all the all the little devils that come out from that, you know, envy and oh, look at that pretty woman. Oh, look at that pretty guy, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, when you're on top. Everyone wants you. Everyone wants you. Every, and everybody is in your ear. And all of a sudden. Sometimes the voices start screaming, I guess. Well, sometimes you start listening to them more than you listen to your wife. Yeah. Or you start listening to your husband. Mm -hmm. You're listening outside of the marriage. Yeah. 
and you're putting more weight on those voices rather than your own voice as a, as a couple and a married couple, you know? Well, and I guess it's easy to get lost in that big fog because so many people are involved with you as a, like a oh. brand and a product and yeah. they're invested in your life. Yeah. And it's, it, it's such a, it's such, it's, it throws you off, it threw me off balance, you know, because all these people are invested in your life and all of a sudden it's just overwhelming, you know, and, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol didn't help. So was that happening? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's a way to be moderate or is it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's hard to be moderate sometimes because it's, don't you feel like in a way in this industry, it's okay to like. And I'm not talking about Pam. I'm talking about me. Right, right, right. Don't you think it's sort of like okay to drink every day and okay Well, that's to- the deal. I mean, that, that's you are right. You know, uh you know, it, in corporate America, you have to take piss tests and <laughs> and they check you to see if you're high. And here, it's almost like you got a mark against you if you don't drink. <laughs> it's true. You know, I remember going to my late a later publisher and telling her, listen, I've got to, I've got to check out. I'm, I've got to go to rehab. I'm really in trouble, and I'm going to go to rehab to deal with this. And and she was like on the phone and hanging her phone up, putting her leash on her dog. And she goes, Oh, that's great. Uh, uh, Tommy, someone who's the head of a record label in New York, he just went to one and he said he had a great time. I'll see you when you get back. And she like, just like walked out. Deal. I'm telling her, I'm, I'm dying Like here. you're spiraling at your lowest moment. I'm She's spiraling like, out great. of control. And she goes, okay, bye. Or I've heard people say, I love to sign a writer if they're going through a divorce. Because you know the inspiration the, is all it's over the place. The, cha- the pain. The pain writes great songs. Yeah, and I have a, yet another old publisher who just had this this slogan of pain and beauty. That's pain and beauty. Like, be upset. Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you really upset? Good. Great, write a song. Good, write a song. Double book yourself today. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I'm not blaming anybody but me, you know, but that's, that's involved. So. so you decided to cut drugs and alcohol out of your life at some point. That's right. When did you decide... Like, when did you decide it was time to, like, ex that? When I felt that I was dying. Oh, really? Yeah, I had gotten that bad. It's not like I woke up from a hangover one day and said, Ooh, I don't want to feel like this anymore. No, it was bad. It was bad, bad. You know, all of the major food groups, I loved them all. <laughs> like what? Like marijuana. I was a wake-and-bake kind of guy. Oh, okay. Did that and help you write songs? No, I thought it did, and and to me, cocaine was this was this exotic taboo drug. But that Dwayne Allman did a lot of cocaine, and I loved Dwayne Allman. Keith Richards did a lot of cocaine, and so I want to be like them. So I guess I'm going to do cocaine, you know. And I did it, and I liked it, and everything else that was there, and. Of course, alcohol mm-hmm. was always there. And so at the end of my marriage to Pam, uh, as soon as we got divorced, all of a sudden 
I, I was partners in an independent publishing company called Little Big Town, which is where Little Big Town got their name from our publishing company. Because they came and asked us, well, you're not using your name anymore. Can we use it? Which I came up with. I came up with Little Big Town. Bob DePiro, <laughs> the origin of Little Big Town. And name. so we had sold this company to Sony, ATV, like so many corporations gobble up companies. And I just got dumped on this gigantic mountain of money. And I'd just gone through a divorce. And I was nuts. Yeah. And I had nobody to be accountable to. I was living here. My family was in Ohio. And I just went down the rabbit hole. And I, uh, you know, I had a housekeeper tell me that, you know, I was always afraid I was going to come to clean your house and find you in your bed dead. Really? Yes. And And so... Thank God I recognized that. And and so I didn't know what to do about it. And so I called my old friend, Steve Earle. Full circle. Full circle, who I knew had gone through this and more. But I called him up and I said, Steve, man, I'm, I think I'm in really deep trouble. I think I said something funny like I'm surrounded by the Peruvian army or something like that. You know, I can always make fun of anything. <laughs> and I said, but I don't know what to do. And he said, well, man, I would suggest you go to rehab. And there's this place in Minnesota called a Hanley Hazleton. And that's a great place. And I went there. But still in my brain at the time. I was going, I'm not going to Minnesota in February. Are you kidding me? So I started looking around, you know, and I found a branch of Anlianson in West Palm Beach, Florida. So I think I'll go there. (laughs) You know, it had nothing to do with help. I'm in trouble. I mean, ah. where's the scenery now? Yeah, I mean, where's the sun? I want to go there. You know, if I would have known about Eric Clapton's rehab place in the Caribbean islands, I would have gone there. Oh, that's the way to go. <laughs> you know, but I didn't. I, I showed up there and and it Did you it, get it right the first time? I got it right the first time. So you I, were I have right. no idea why. Well I think they isn't it part of the saying like you have to want it yourself. Yeah. I, I think they say No one can you force to you be, into it. W- willing as only the dying can be to want it. You know, and, and I was willing. And I was willing to do anything. Was it just, hard to give it up? Or are you just so ready? I was just so ready. I was, I had scared myself sober and I knew I couldn't do it myself. And so I went there and I was still an asshole when I first got there. It was a bunch of bullshit, psycho babble. I think this is a cult. <laughs> it sucks. You know, and then one day while I was there, I just woke up and I was like, Wow, I think this can help me, you know, and I just, and I have no idea why I've been sober this long. How many years have you been sober? A couple weeks ago, it was 14 years. High five, Bob! That's freaking awesome. Knowing that I could leave this interview and go jump off the The bandwagon. That's the thing, it's a daily, every day. It's a daily decision. And some days, it's so easy, I never think about it. And some days, it's not so easy, but that's part of the deal. But I know this, I know that had I continued on, uh, I would have probably died, and I would never have met 
Leslie. Who's your wife now? Who's my wife now? It's probably my first sober relationship. It's probably since high school. And she's a she's angel. like uh, beyond. I I don't deserve her, you know. But I was I was clear headed. I was sober. I'd been sober for a couple of years before I'd ever met her, and that's when I found that I always thought that I wrote all these songs because I did drugs. But what I came to find out was I wrote all these songs in spite of doing all these drugs. Because after I got clean and sober, I went on having, I kept having hits. I kept having the, you know, if you ever stop loving me and and uh, Southern Voice and on and on and on. So, so is I, that a huge moment of like relief in a way and then also like freedom? It's It's a feeling of awakening and knowing something I didn't know. Like you didn't have to depend on anything anymore. Yeah. And just, I had this all wrong. Really? What did you have wrong? I thought that if I got high, that it was cool and, and it helped me be here and all my friends drink until they fall over and I want to hang out with them. And so I'm going to drink till I fall over well, some of my friends can do that and then go home and they're over it. But me, I keep going. You know, so I've, I figured that out about myself. And uh, and you're smart enough to do something about it. Yeah, but I'm not strong enough that I can pull this off myself. You know, so I do all the deal. I go to the meetings and thankfully my wife has been a great help. You know, she gets it. She's awesome. a, what I call a civilian. <laughs> she doesn't have this ism. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, most of my friends get it. Yeah. Well, they I, all get it. And some don't. And I'm not that good of friends with them anymore. Yeah. That's amazing, Bob. I mean, that's almost as, probably as big of an accomplishment as these songs on your wall. It is to me. Yeah. Knowing what I know now. I mean, I get this. I get this. I know it's amazing. Yeah. The really, wall literally has like 50 number one songs. I, I really, I get this. And I, I'm now able to take in where before I didn't know what I was taking in. You're just in it. I was just high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was high and I was in it, you know. So here we are, 2016, and I just got done writing a really good song today. Called Dirty Love. Okay, so we got to wrap up, even though it's yes. been an hour. I want to talk to you forever because you probably are one of the most interesting humans on earth. <laughs> Your story is so colorful. Yes, I'm a colorful guy. You are a colorful guy. Uh, look at my phone. It's colorful. It's bright red. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I like to end all of my interviews with something I call Leave Your Light. So leave me some inspiration. Like inspire us with something that means something to you or has inspired you or that you want to inspire on others. I think if you want a life in the creative arts, especially in the entertainment business, whether you're a songwriter or, or an entertainer, always have the heart of a student. Be willing to learn. Be willing to try stuff that you've never tried, you know, be open to it and have fun while you're doing it. Cause sometimes that fun is all you're going to get out of it. So have, 
you know, have a good time while you're doing this. Have fun. I love that. Even if fun's all that it is. Yeah, because there's a lot of times, you know, write a great song. Man, we had a great time. And nothing ever comes of the song, but we had a good time while we were doing it, you know. But go after what you want. Go after your dreams. Don't be afraid to ask for what you want. And be the hair in somebody's biscuit. Be the hair in somebody's biscuit. Just show up. (laughs) And I will say that there's a fine line between stalking (laughs) and networking. And you need to find out where your line is, that line between being a pest and pestering and networking or how to speak to somebody or how to show up just enough or at the right time. That's an art. That is an art. It's it's very much part of being in the music business. Yeah, I love it. And you can figure it out, but you have to know who you are. So if you don't, Find out. I love that. <laughs> Bob DePiro, thank you so much for interviewing me. Thank you, Caroline. I enjoyed every minute of it. Caroline, she's the queen of talking. Hey, what's on your mind? She's on the inside. She got the scoop on the ones to watch. On the ones that's hot. No one can do it quite like Caroline. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Hyper Caroline Hobby. I hope you loved hearing from Bob DePiro. He is one of my favorite humans on earth, and I just loved having him as a guest. Next week, I am freaking thrilled because I have the OG, the original, the one and only Cody Allen. He hosts on CMT, and I have loved him and looked up to him forever. And he gives me lessons on how to host, and it's so fun. And then we hear his whole story on how he got into hosting and how he became the household name that he is and the CMT sensation. So y'all get excited for Cody Allen and please tune in every week and subscribe on iTunes and leave some comments. Thank you guys so much. See you next week. Bye.